little bit. In general, we don't like to get honest about those things. There's not a one of us probably in this room that says, oh, by the way, I'm a really good thief, right? We, I, I like to steal a lot. I like to, you know, just do things that irritate people. There's not a one of us that, want to talk about, that wants to admit that we're sinful or prideful or arrogant or know-it-alls or selfish and that we have, uh, you know, just a wrong thought towards other people and, and other circumstances and you know, we, we don't like to talk about our sinfulness. We don't like to talk about, you know, shameful, embarrassing, and uh, consequential things that happen in our lives that would, you know, cause other people to look down on us or to think less of us because that's areas of sinfulness. But if we are going to get honest about our sinfulness, we have to tell the truth about it. We have to get honest about it, even though we don't like to deal with it. So, and whatever it is that may be going through your mind, you know, it's an amazing thing that we cannot escape the presence of God. We've talked about that so many times in years past. We can't get away from the the sight of God, Psalm 139, Hebrews 4. That's just obvious. That's just a given. But it's not just our presence. It's also our thoughts. He knows what we're thinking. He knows all things. And though we might be able to hide it as we're talking to that person that we just don't like them, that we don't care for them, and... And the whole time we got a smile on our face and God says, you are in sin. We don't want to deal with those things. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. It's not something that we enjoy doing. But let's look at our text for today in 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin, not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you this morning, we ask, dear God, that you would just work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be honest about the areas of sinfulness in our own lives that, so that we might deal with them. And Lord, in dealing with them, Lord, we might be true to your word in First Peter 1, that we can be holy as you are holy. I pray, God, that we would not dismiss it, Lord, that we would not... Lord, just not choose not to deal with it, but Lord, that we would be honest about our sins so that we can walk in righteousness and holiness and fellowship with you, dear Father. So speak to our hearts, Lord, this day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sin has significant consequences. In fact, we know that there are many significant consequences. In fact, I want to read several passages of Scripture this morning and just give us an idea of what sin does, what the consequences are of sin. And the first one is found in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. And he says, And when it, what comes out of a man and that defiles a man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and here's what sin does. It defiles a man. No matter how you look at it, these things come from within, out of the heart of man, and it says these areas of sin defile a person. And here's the significant aspect of that. God's Word says nothing can enter into heaven that defiles. You see, we can't live a life that is characterized by sinfulness and still expect God to accept us into heaven as if there's no problem. There is a problem that we, are, that we must and are called to deal with. So it's not the idea that we'll never sin as a child of God, but if these things are characteristic in our life as a norm, as a pattern, that says something about our life that we are not dealing with it. So we have to deal with it because sin defiles 
mankind. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So once again, it's not the idea that once we are a child of God that we'll never do wrong again. The idea is that once we become a child of God, that these things should not be characterizing who we are as a child of God. So once we, what we see here is that sin separates us from going to heaven if we choose not to deal with it. So the reality is sin does have significant consequences. We see again in Psalm chapter 32, beginning with verse 1, it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So even though sin defiles, even though sin separates, we can become blessed when those sins are dealt with. So he says in verse 2, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In other words, he doesn't continually charge it against him for his sin. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. It says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was very heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. What is he saying here? Sin can actually have an effect on our actual health. Years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a counseling session in Indiana where there was a fellow who was dealing with some areas of sinfulness in his life. To watch this man and what he went through was absolutely astounding. I've seen a lot of different counseling sessions and going through counseling classes and being a part of all those things, but when it all came down to it, this man had all kinds of health issues, one after another, after another, after another. And I thought it was really interesting when the counselor looked at him and goes, so what is it that you've done that you've not dealt with? And he kind of looked at him and dropped his jaw. He said, when I was in my 20s, he said, I molested a couple girls. When I was in my 20s, he said. This guy was now 80 years old. He said, for 60 years, I have dealt with the guilt of it. He said, I don't know their names. I can't go back and make it right. And he said, because of it, he goes, I cannot get the thoughts out of my mind. The sin of his youth that he had not dealt with caused him to have so many physical problems that he could not hardly live life. We see this in Psalm chapter 32. It says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. It affected his health. Sin causes our health to be in decay. In Psalm chapter 51, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Who needs that? Somebody who's not dealt with sin. In verse 1, it also says, According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. We realize that when we sin, we're not just sinning against that person that we may have done something against. We are actually sinning against a holy God. And a holy God says that it needs to be dealt with. 
He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. So here's his heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. What's he saying here? He goes, this sin that I have been a part of, I need it to be taken away. I need it to be dealt with. I need you to not look at me as though I'm still under this bondage and and guilt of sin. And then he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be covered, converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, that the God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud your righteousness. And he just goes on. Here's the heart of a person who truly is repenting and confessing his sins before God and wants to be in a right standing with God. This ought to be our heart's desire. I don't know about you, but every morning I want, to, I want to give my day to God. I want to start my day saying, God, you have everything that I have. You, you, you occupy my mind. You, you fill my heart. Your spirit work in, work in and through me that people might see a picture of Christ. And the reality is our sinfulness sometimes takes over, does it not? We have good intentions and we're sincere in our desires, but then the flesh enters. You've heard the story probably in sometime in, in the history of hearing preachers preach. Story of two great wolves, one solid white, one solid black. Both identical as far as their looks, their muscle mass, their energy, their strength, except for one factor. If they were to get in a fight one with the other, which one would win? The one that you feed. And that's the same way with the spirit that lives within us. See, you have the flesh and you have the spirit. And when they're at odds with one another and you're fighting against one another, which one's going to win? The one that you feed. If you feed on the spirit, the spirit will control you. If you feed on the flesh, the flesh will control you. But according to Romans chapter 8, that is a choice that each and every one of us must make daily. It says, they that mind the things of the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. And they that mind the things of the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. It is a daily choice of which, which, one, which either the flesh or the Spirit you're going to set your mind on. So which one will control you? But the heart of the psalmist and the heart of David in Psalm 51 is, God, create a clean heart in me. That should be our desire. That should be what we would want. So we know that sin defiles, sin separates, sin can affect our health. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, a familiar verse, we realize that sin has a cost. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, what you deserve, what you have earned because of your sinfulness, sinfulness is death. Now, I don't know anyone in this room that, because you're obviously here, that you did something wrong and all of a sudden went... Pfft died what's it talking about here there is a spiritual separation a spiritual death that takes place to someone who is born in sin 
and doesn't deal with sin. He says, for the wages, the punishment, the due recompense of your sinfulness is spiritual death. Separation from God in the lake of fire for all eternity. Sin has a cost, and it's an expensive one. In Romans 3.23, sin causes us to fall short of God's glory. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a significant consequence. It literally means, in the, in the Word of God, in the Hebrew language, to miss the mark. It's the idea of a person holding a bull, and they're drawing back, and they're trying to hit the bullseye, but they can't even hit the target. See, God has a, a direction that He wants us to go, a life He wants us to live, and we're, what we're doing is we're pulling that string back, and we're drawing it back, and we're releasing the arrow, and it's not even hitting the target. It says, you're born not hitting the target. You're born missing the mark. Sin causes us to fall short of the mark of God's glory. And then in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he tells us where sin begins. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires, his own lust, and is enticed. How important it is for our focus to be on God every day. It says sinfulness starts when we're drawn away, when our eyes, when our focus is on other things other than on the things of God. And when it goes there, it tends to lead us down a path that leads to more sinfulness. So he says, once again, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. Well, sin causes our prayers not to be heard. I won't take a lot of time because you've heard these verses before, but if you want to mark them, Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You say, why is it important for me to deal with sin? Why is it important for me to be honest about the sinfulness in my life? Because if you try to pray and seek God's face and do things that you, you know, and have God answer prayers that are important to you, God says, if you don't deal with sin, I'm not even going to listen to it. See, we can't have the blessings of God without being right before Him. And we live in a world that wants all the blessings of knowing God, all the blessings of being, quote-unquote, spiritual, all the blessings of claiming to be a, quote-unquote, Christian, but we don't want to deal with sinfulness in our lives. Because after all, we're not as bad as other people. We'll get to that in a moment. But Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard, in other words, withhold it, areas of sinfulness in my own life, the Lord will not hear me until I'm able to deal with my sinfulness. And Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, He that covereth a matter shall not prosper. If there's areas of sinfulness in your life that you're choosing not to deal with, choosing, choosing to just kind of sweep them under the carpet, so to speak, God says, you're not going to prosper. It's important that we be honest about the areas of sinfulness in our life. Notice there are key words found in our text in 1 John chapter 1. Several key words. There's, there's, there's many, but I'm not going to deal with all of them. Uh, just look at, for example, the words, if, confess, he, forgive, cleanse, all. I just want to highlight those, those few words here, six words. Number one, if. The word if there in verse 9, it says, or verse 8. Or, I'm sorry, verse 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The very first word there is the word if. If. Isn't that a powerful word? If I had a million dollars. Right? If I had ten million dollars. If I had a Rolls Royce. If I had a mansion on a hill. Isn't if a really crazy word? If. See, if is a conditional word. If very much implies that there's a choice or there's a possibility of two choices, a possibility of two directions. 
So he says, if. So the very word if tells us that forgiveness is conditional. Forgiveness is not automatic. And sometimes I've talked to people in the past as well, I know I've done wrong in my past, or I know this is not necessarily the best thing in my life, but God will forgive me. Ooh, that's a wrong path to go down. If I'm choosing to know that there is sinfulness, and I choose not to deal with it. That's a, oh, that's a scary path to go down. So if tells us that forgiveness is conditional, it's not automatic. He says if. That means there's two choices. Deal with it, get honest about it, or don't. Then he says this word, confess. The word confess literally means to say the same thing as God says about my sin. In other words, I have the same view of my sin that God has of this sin. I mean, I have the same mind, the same thought, the same viewpoint as God has about this sin in my own life. See, sometimes we have the idea that it's not that big a deal. And God says, it's a huge deal. I gave my life for you. I shed my blood for that little issue that you think that's not so little. The issue is, it's huge. And we have to realize that it is huge before God. So it means to say the same thing about my sin as God says about my sin. It means to agree with Him concerning it. So here's where we mess up sometimes as children of God. Have you ever rationalized why you did something that someone says you shouldn't have done? I mean, GPS says to go this way, but I want to go this way. Anybody ever done that and got in trouble? The first time I went down to the pancake place down in Arkport, the Buckwheat Pancakes. Anybody remember that? A couple of you were with us. GPS said, uh, they'll go this way, and I missed it, and so I went this way. I thought, ah, it's got to go this way. Just, just go this direction. Man, we were over rough roads and dirt roads, and I thought we were going to get stuck. Or, you know, I thought we were going to lose a vehicle in a pothole. I mean, it's just wisdom said to follow what was right. My flesh said, but we'll get there going this way anyway. Yeah, we did. Back ache and car bumps and everything else later. We got there. But we can rationalize it because, eh, we'll get there. Yeah, you were there. <laughs> but the reality is this. We rationalize sinfulness. And we excuse it away. And we even justify it at times. Well, it's not as bad as this. It's not as, well, at least it's not that. And it's not, it could be worse. I mean, it could, this could have happened. But we are great at rationalizing justifying or just simply excusing our sin. It's not as bad as, it's not as big a deal as. This would be the last time you ever thought that one. I know that I deal with this sin, but I'm just going to do it one more time. How many times I've talked to guys who are involved in pornography. Uh, this is the last time I'm going to do it. It's the last time I'm going to look at this. And they catch themselves again and again because they have not chosen to set their mind on the things of the Spirit. This is the last time I'm going to yell and scream. This is the last time I'm going to have these wrong thoughts. This is the last time. And we justify it, rationalize it, excuse it. It's not gonna, I'm not going to keep doing it. Folks, when are we going to realize that your flesh is so strong, and though you have great intentions, though we are sincere in our thoughts, and what we want to do, our flesh is just too strong. Anybody justified why they're not working out right now? Well, the Y was closed for the last five months. Guess what? For a month it's been open. And guess where I have not been? 
I can justify it. I, just, I can rationalize it. Well, it's been closed for five months. I don't want to deal with it. And besides that, if one, if one burger is good, three is better. I mean, let's be honest. We can justify and rationalize and excuse our sinfulness away. And in the end, it's going to cause us to break fellowship with God and to forfeit his blessings on our life. How about this one? I'm saved, and God will forgive me. I mean, he, he knows me. He understands. He, he's going to forgive me. Woo! That's a scary one. Let's look at the next key word in the verse. So we know if is a conditional word. Confess is an action verb. And then he tells us who. God alone gives us the ability to be forgiven through his blood. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, says that that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. I mean, He may give us the spirit of wisdom. We have to choose every day. Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. There is forgiveness only in Him. In Hebrews 9, verse 22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ paid the price so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins. Are we willing to get honest about the sinfulness of our own lives? So He alone forgives. And then the next word is forgive. Another verb. To release, dismiss, or let go of a charge, penalty, or act against someone or someone uh, against us. Are we willing to Release, dismiss, let go of charges against us, just as God has done that with us. Folks, if we have not, if we, I'm sorry, if we have experienced God's forgiveness, how dare we not forgive others who forgive, that, that have ought against us or us against them? Are we not willing to forgive? You know, forgiveness often requires grace, mercy, and love to be fulfilled. Grace, well, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Anybody not understand that? Does, does anybody here think they deserve grace? We don't. If we got what we deserve, we'd be spending eternity in hell. But because of God's grace. And then mercy, not giving us what we do deserve. We deserve. We, we've experienced the things that we don't deserve, and God has withheld the things that we do deserve. And why does he do it? Because of his love for us. So forgiveness often requires grace, mercy, and love to be fulfilled. And then the next key word, cleanse. says that Jesus Christ cleanses us, wipes clean our sin account. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ became sin for us. He knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Is that not awesome? That God's the father turned his back on his only son as he bore the sins of the world. Think about that for a moment. He made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, that's a good reason to get honest about our sin. And then all. <laughs> in that passage in 1 John verse nine, 1 verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
he doesn't just say the big ones, certain ones, specific ones. Every sin, all unrighteousness. He says, I'm willing to wipe it off clean. But let me come back to the beginning part of this. If. If. He'll wipe away our slate and make it clean. And He'll take care of every sin if we confess them. In Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far that He removed our sins from us. Isn't that awesome? In Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, he says, Who is a God like you? Well, rhetorical question. No one, right? No one. Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Isn't that awesome? God delights to be merciful. He delights. He says, I know you're a sinner. I know that you're in the flesh. I know that you do wrong. But I delight to give you mercy. I delight to withhold what you truly deserve. Isn't that awesome? He delights in mercy. He does not retain his anger forever. And it says in verse 19, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that awesome? As far as the east is from the west, and down in the depths of the sea, God casts our sins away from us when we confess them. Question. Is everyone in this room a sinner? I hate to break it through. Yes. Romans 3.23 says, For all, you know what that means in the Greek? All. That means everyone, without exception. We are all sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. But, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all of sin. We're all sinners. But here's the thing. His truth is still powerful today. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And when we are willing to do that, God says, you restore fellowship and relationship with me. And my sins are forgiven and my prayers are heard. And we begin to put ourselves in the position where we're going to be blessed of God. Psalm 32. He wants to bless us. He delights in mercy. He enjoys being gracious to us. But I'm afraid oftentimes we take these things for granted. Maybe not, not purposefully. Maybe not on, you know, in a way that we are choosing to do it. But by not, what's, what's the statement? A failure to plan is a plan to fail. So by not planning to deal with it, you're planning to accept the consequences of it. Romans uh, chapter 6 Last passage I'm going to look at this morning. Oops, I'm going the wrong way. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read several verses here. I want you to get this just for a moment. I know that in our lives there are times that we've, we think about the things that we've done that are wrong. And if we're honest with ourselves before God, we all have those areas of our life that, eh, it's not that big a deal. It's not as bad as so-and-so. It's private. Nobody knows about it. I'm not hurting anyone. It doesn't affect them. And there's areas of sinfulness that we choose not to deal with, and it really comes underneath that umbrella. Well, God's going to forgive me anyway. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's going to forgive me. 
Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Say the next words with me. Certainly not. Say it again. Certainly not. So he asked the question, should I continue in sin just because God's gracious? Certainly not. He said there is a choice to make. Just because God's going to give His grace doesn't mean you continue in it. That's abusing God's grace. That's taking, for, uh, taking advantage of God's grace. We don't continue in sin just because God's going to forgive us. Well, there's some strong words there. In fact, in some of your translations, I believe in the King James, it says, God forbid that we do that. Those are strong words. Verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So what's he talking about, those, those of us who have died to sin? If we have come to the place in our life where we realize that Christ died on the cross, that he shed his blood for our sins, and we've asked him to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, and we put our faith and trust in him as a, and now become a child of God, part of the family of God, he says when we are baptized, he says we are crucified the old man, and we put to death all the things of the flesh, and when we came up out of the waters of baptism, we were a new person, new creation in Christ. And he says, how do we who have been dead to sin live in those things that characterize our past? They should not be who we are, part of who we are. But he doesn't stop there. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead as by the glory of, God, uh, glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man was what? Crucified with him. In other words, when we died to sin, we, were, we nailed that sin to the cross, just like Christ went to the cross. That sin, that, those sins are now under the blood of Jesus. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We're, those sins are not to be a part of us. The sins of who we were before we put our trust in Christ should not characterize us. They should not be a part of our reputation of who we are in Jesus. We're not slaves of that. For he who has died has been set freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Remember what James 1, 14, 15 says? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, his own desires, and starts to act on them. So verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. We're not to let sin dominate who we are as child of god and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin now in the word instruments in the bible often refers to as a symbolic of our hands our ears our feet our eyes our you know our senses everything it should not let this body that god has given to us be used as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to god as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to god for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And here it is once again, verse 
15. Say it with me. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law or but under grace? Say it with me. Certainly not. So here's what I want us to close with this morning. If we're going to get real honest about our sinfulness, we have to acknowledge that God sent His Son out of love to die on a cross for us, to pay the sin debt that you and I had. He shed His blood that we might have forgiveness of sin. Romans 6 reminds us we're not to continue in that sin just because His grace is sufficient. Just because His grace abounds. That's abusing God's grace. But if we don't deal with it, we forfeit the blessing of God. We forfeit our prayer life from being, uh, from being real and being vibrant and from God answering and, and working in our lives. Because we know that sin defiles, sin separates, sin affects our health, sin has a cost, sin causes us to fall short of God's glory, and sin begins when we take our focus off Him. That's a challenge for every one of us every day of our lives to deal with areas of sinfulness. So the question I want to close with this morning is this. Are you willing to get honest about your sin? Are you willing to get honest about it? It's your choice. There was a song growing up when I was in elementary school that we used to sing in class. He will not compel us to go. Oh, no, he will not compel us to go. God will not compel us to go against our will. He just makes us willing to go. There's a way that we have a choice in dealing with sin and dealing with issues in our life. And God's not going to force it, but sometimes he'll allow circumstances that draw it right front and center, that puts it right before us before, so we have a choice to make. And let me just say, it is a choice. We can choose to say, well, it's not that big a deal and cheapen the grace of God because it was his son that died on the cross, God the Father's son who came to the cross and shed his blood that we might have forgiveness. And then we can cheapen that, that gift of God by continuing in sin, or we can deal with it. But here's the thing. Right there in our text, 1 John 1.10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we're choosing to say, hey, I'm not a sin. I don't have sins I haven't dealt with. I, 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 I mean, I'm not a sinner. I, I, I don't have things that, uh, that are wrong in my life. I'm in perfect stand. Ooh. Ouch. That's a difficult position to proclaim. Unless we've truly said, Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. Until we get to that place where God says, you're forgiven. Actions speak louder than words. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, we, we, you've heard it from me a couple times. When we tell our kids to take out the trash or clean their room or do the dishes or vacuum the floors, I will, I will. Don't tell me, show me. Actions speak louder than words. I will later, right, but later doesn't come. Don't put off dealing with sin. Don't put off getting honest about areas of sinfulness in our life. It's too costly. The consequences are so great. And we ought to walk to walk in fellowship with, with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. I ask God that you'd help us to be honest about the areas of sinfulness in our life. Lord, I'm thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for your mercy. I'm thankful for your love. I'm thankful that you are a God that is so gracious. 
that you do forgive over and over and over again. But Lord, might we not take that for granted. Help us to agree with you concerning areas of sinfulness, Lord. May we have the same view of our sin that you have of our sin because it costs you everything. So, Lord, I pray that whatever that area of sinfulness might be, Lord, that we've not dealt with, that we've put off dealing with, that we've said we'll deal with it later or we'll stop doing it later, I pray, God, that today might be the day of victory for many, that today might be a day that we choose to choose to be holy, choose to be righteous, choose to realize that you gave everything for that sin in our lives. But God, we do we don't want to take for granted what you've done for us. We don't want to or continue in sin just because your grace abounds. That's abuse. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be honest this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, each and every week we have an opportunity just to respond to what we've heard from God's Word. It's not my Word. It's not my Bible. It's God's Word. It's His Word. It's His Bible. Maybe this morning God has just simply in a still small voice said, hey, what about this? Have you dealt with it? This area of sinfulness that only you know about, but God knows about it. It may be hidden from your wife. It may be hidden from your children. It may be hidden from your employer. It may be hidden from your friends. It may be hidden from your relatives, but God sees it because he sees all things. Have you dealt with that one? Say, well, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't matter the size of the sin. God doesn't have a scale of one to ten. So this is a, this is a little sin. It's a one, and this one's a great sin. It's a nine and a half. God doesn't have a scale. Sin is sin, and all sin breaks the heart of God, and sin undealt with breaks fellowship with God. This morning, is there something that you've not been honest about that God has impressed upon your heart to deal with? Would you deal with it this morning? Say, just with uplifted hand, Pastor, there's some things in my mind, some things that God has revealed to me that I need to deal with. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. Yes. All over. All over the auditorium. I think we all struggle with things. We all are sincere in in many regards of it. We, we, we don't want to do it, and maybe we do enjoy it. But God is saying, deal with it this morning. Anyone else say, pray for me. God's, God's showing me something I need to deal with this morning. Anyone else? Yes, yes. Can I just challenge those of you that raise your hand, your heart towards the Lord, just, just for a moment? Between you and God, just take a moment and say, God, please forgive me of my sin. God, forgive me of that area of sinfulness, whatever it is. God says, if we confess... He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. It's a simple decision to say, God, I want to be more holy than unholy. I want to be righteous, not unrighteous. I want to deal with these areas of sinfulness. God, would you forgive me? And just tell him what it is. He knows already. God, forgive me for that selfishness. God, forgive me for my wrong attitude. God, forgive me for my anger. God, forgive me for my pride. God, forgive me for whatever it is. And when we confess that sin before God, He says, I will forgive you. And when we do that, it restores fellowship with God. It's a simple prayer. It's a decision to to be honest about it. Can I invite you to stand to your feet this morning? Lord Jesus, as we come before you, Lord, around the auditorium this morning, Lord, many of us acknowledge there's areas of sinfulness in our life. 
Lord, we don't want to just walk out of here and not deal with it, God. We want to deal with it. We want to be in good standing with you. We want to, Lord, know that our sins are forgiven. But, Lord, I pray, Lord, even still as we close the service, there may be some who are choosing not to deal with areas of sinfulness for whatever reason, Lord, that they're in their mind, they're rationalizing, they're justifying, they're excusing. It's not that big a deal. It's not as bad as. It's the last time. Whatever, Lord, I pray that you would just deal with them and show them their need for confession and repentance. But, Lord, we also pray for each one who did raise their hand, their hearts toward you, Lord, that you would just give them victory this week, Lord, as we choose. And, Lord, I've said many times, Lord, when we make a decision for you, Lord, Satan doesn't want to let us see that go unchallenged. It's amazing, Lord, how many times that we don't want to raise our voice or yell or scream or have a bad attitude, and then the next moment we're challenged with that very thing that we've tried to surrender. So, God, would you help us? Would you give us strength this week to be with each one who raised their hand, their heart toward you, Lord, to give them victory over this area of sinfulness, Lord, regardless of what it may be, that we may have close, sweet fellowship with you, dear Father. And we'll praise you for it, for what you see fit to do in our lives. May we be open to your Spirit's leading. May we say no to the areas of the flesh and sinfulness, Lord. May we not be led away of our own faultful fleshly desires. Lord, may we not make you a liar by saying there's no sin in us. But Lord, I pray that we would be in good standing with you because we're walking in the fellowship with you. Lord God, would you be with each and every one of us as our hearts are given to you this morning, fresh and anew. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.